This podcast was recorded remotely. There are spoilers ahead for the TV show Succession, and due to the nature of that show and my dad's potty mouth, adult language throughout. Check the podcast description for time codes for spoiler-free goodness. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Succession Season 3, Episode 6, Going for What It Takes. My name is Adam, and fresh from the Future Freedom Summit, we have Neil! Hey, paper people! And also, fresh from Clown Town, it's Grace! I like Connor Roy! So much went on in this episode, most of it taking place at this weird event, which was variously described as the Future Freedom Summit, or Selecto El Presidento, or Clown Town, or the ATM Primary, but essentially... <laughs> Lots of politicians and lots of industry figures deciding who the next president's going to be. One thing that I was really happy about this is I thought that they were just going to keep kicking the can. I mean, it's been teased so much that we're going to start looking at the presidential and race and Connor being part of it. And I'm just really excited that that storyline is starting to move up. And they probably will save the meat of it for Series 4. I think that's a good shout. But the story is moving quick now. It's moving at a pace, which I like. And oh my God, that room, the Freedom Futures Summit. You know what? I always feared those rooms existed. But being in there, it was so much worse than I could possibly imagine. I feel like Connor... That was his moment, and now that maybe is gone, that they considered Connor for it this time round. It occurred to me that when somebody else mentions to Logan, what about Connor Roy, that it's the first time that Logan's actually seriously considered it. Only because Connor is a puppet, he can absolutely, like he owns the strings. Like a spider spinning a web, like he spun those strings. That's how I see Logan seeing Connor as a potential next president. It's absolute use and abuse. The president's no use to Logan unless they are a puppet. And what better a puppet than his own son? So, Grace, for a while now, you've been hoping for a bit of romance in the air. And I think there were a couple in this episode. So you've got Logan and his assistant, Kerry. Which makes me feel deeply unwell. FYI. (laughs) You need your Gaveston. And then we had Roman and political Roman, which is why I wrote down Roman meets political Roman. But that definitely felt like there was something going on between the two of them. Yeah, there was flirting over the hand towels, for sure. I really liked seeing that. This is something that we've spoken about before and it was great to see. I really enjoyed it and I liked seeing him. He got quite giggly. Roma says, oh, a couple of cool guys having some disgusting fun. And there was another line in the bathroom, which I wrote down, which was a similar ilk was, I'm creeping on the come up. I was like, okay, this is all like political flirting. <laughs> the other romantic couple that we need to talk about is Kendall and Tom. Little dates, little coffees, two desperate individuals needing love and support. And who doesn't love the underdog? What's your thought on that little love scenario? I don't think there was much love at the end of it, certainly. <laughs> Let's pick up on Kendall and lead into that. So there's tension between him and Lisa, his lawyer. 
they're prepping him for his, what I assume is his FBI interviews. He's trying to take the lead on it and tell her, this is how I see it playing out. And she says, I don't do requ requests because I'm not a DJ. He's, I love that. We learn from that that Waystar are complying. Obviously, they've given all of this paperwork over. Um, the papers lack explosiveness. So Kendall's case is on shaky ground. Then he fires Lisa, shit hot lawyer who was going to sort it all out. And now he's, he's gotten rid of her. And then he distracts himself by talking about his 40th birthday and the and what the title of that should be. I only wrote down end times, but there were a couple of other ones. <laughs> Basically, Kendall, the minute she critiques him, he fires her. And that just, I think, shows you how fragile his ego has become. That the minute anyone stands up to him or says, no, trust me, do it this way. I actually know what I'm talking about. He just gets them out of his face. And that is not going to go well, I suspect. I think he gets that from his dad to an extent. Anybody who either stands up to him or conflicts with his vision of things, it's like, no, if you don't agree with me, you're nothing. He described her as, no, she's a toxic person. I don't want her part of the camp. He can't deal with that. And that's a very Logan quality Totally right, Neil. And I think that he just loves surrounding himself with yes people, as does Logan. People who will sit there, agree with him, do a little dance, maybe spout Make a little stuff. love, get down tonight. <laughs> Talk about Twitter and the cultural thermometer of the public and all of that, which doesn't actually account for much when you're sat in front of the FBI. And I think the fact that you said... Adam, that the, the papers were less explosive than they thought. That was pretty damning. He lost a lot of colour in that moment, Kendall. I think the difference between Kendall and Logan is that when Logan throws his weight around, people bend and people bow and people scrape. Whereas when Kendall tries to do it, one, he chooses the wrong moments and times to do it in. <laughs> people just tell him that he's an idiot. And also just think about Kendall's self-esteem and mental health. He must feel like a laughingstock for the majority of his life. He must feel pretty much bullied, certainly by his father and to an extent by the rest of the family. When you look at his mental state, is there any surprise that he's been behaving in the way that he has? The way that he's been fluctuating from desperately wanting approval to desperately wanting revenge or some kind of closure, to reacting in an absolutely bizarre way that ends up getting a waiter killed. It, there's no surprise that he is where he is. Why we've seen him do the long walk down the corridor and then cradle in the fetal position in a room full of computer browsers. Why we've also seen him try and throw his whole family, particularly his father, under the bus. Before we get on to talking about the Kendall and Tom meeting, I feel like we should talk about the Greg and Tom meeting. Prison is weighing heavy on Greg's mind. He's texting Kendall, how's it going with the burning? And then he comes and confides in Tom and says that he can't stop thinking about it. He's asking advice from Tom on how, how not to think about prison. Tom basically says that he's always thinking about prison. So in those moments when he doesn't think about it, it's like someone's loosened their icy grip on my innards. 
Oh God, it was so sad, wasn't it? It just, just the two of them together sort of discussing how they would approach prison life. Apparently the food in jail is really bland. It's really bland. I mean, that would put shivers down my spine. <laughs> they did paint a very sad picture, didn't they, the two of them? I was thinking about how it's interesting that they're kind of the reason each other are in that situation. It all comes down to the papers. Tom just taking Greg and deciding you're going to be my scapegoat. You're going to shred them all. Isn't that the start of the chain? Other than obviously the Cruz murders. I mean, it has to lie at Tom's cat flap. He made Greg the accessory. It wasn't an equal thing. Yeah, the power dynamic is way off for sure. I guess Greg stealing the papers and giving them to Kendall is then why it potentially blew up in the way it did. I could be wrong, but it felt like there were almost there was like a camaraderie between them over that meal. It was really touching in a way. Greg's angling for Tom to take his part on himself because he's being called the Christmas tree. Because if you've committed a crime... You can hang it on one of his branches and he'll, because he's going down anyway, he'll, you might as well take those on as well. Tom's line is something along the lines of, you want to hang your bubble of corporate wrongdoing on my branches. But there's a lovely, really lovely moment where, and this comes back in the conversation with Kendall later on, where Tom says, eradicate hope. They can't get you if you've got no hope. And he's got to this point where he has dismissed any hope of him not going to prison. It's a fait accompli. He's going down and he's coming to terms with it all. And he's trying to talk to Shiv about it. And she doesn't really want to know. Calling Greg up and and inviting him out for a meal and sharing his concerns with Greg, I think, was really lovely. Tom is absolutely close to losing it. This is absolutely a bomb that is ticking and nobody's going to stop that fuse wire. Something massive is going to happen. I feel like he's quite calm rather than a ticking time bomb he knows what's coming he's actually doing really decent things all the time telling greg that he's going to take this burden on for him all the stuff that happened with logan in those earlier episodes it's kind of heartbreaking and i do wonder if rather than him exploding there's going to be some way that he's there's something dishonest that he might be able to do that's going to then get him out of it and it's whether he then goes down that route he's almost being built up to be a decent guy the roy family sympathometer he's at that sympathetic end even greg offered to pay for the meal and tom said no 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 no. greenpeace stole your inheritance besides my meals will be free soon oh god it was all just heartbreaking i'm making some inroads in my omelets it's like afghanistan you have to start in the middle Are we really talking about someone with a stable mental capacity? Surely he is going to break at some point. I mean, lest we forget the water bottle gate in season two, when he basically assaulted Greg with a bunch of Highland Springs. I don't think that's what they were drinking. But yeah, he has the capacity to totally flip. It's just, this feels, it feels like a different Tom. And that's exciting because I don't know what's going to happen with him. He feels so beaten down and almost principled, which is confusing. I don't know, maybe principled is the wrong word, but almost a bit selfless at the moment. What principles has he got? My view is, I think he's already broken. I think that moment has come. I'm not saying he's not capable of flipping out, but the way that he talks to Kendall, you know, that exchange, I like you, but I have notes. Kendall says, 
Are they calling you the Christmas tree? He says, yeah, because I'm tall and jolly. He's like not letting Kendall phase him or push him in any way. Kendall sort of says, oh, you know, you've played your hand well. You're at the top table now. And he simply cuts him back with saying, yeah, all I did was fall in love with your sister. And then when Kendall offers him immunity, which is clearly bullshit and not within Kendall's powers at all, he's like, no, how is that actually going to work? It's not. Kendall tries to tell him that Shiv's not going to wait and he doesn't take that bait either. Um, And then he comes out with this glorious line of, my hunch is you're going to get fucked because I've seen you get fucked a lot and I've never seen Logan get fucked once. He's made his mind up. I'm going to go down for this and I will be rewarded in the long term. And yes, I'm sad and depressed about it and I'd love to talk to my wife about it and she won't. I don't think he's necessarily going to lose it. I think emotional breakdown of him sobbing as he goes into prison i could certainly see i think ultimately what i'm enjoying is him cutting through the bullshit a bit more because he's stopped caring because he can't really care anymore because he's going to prison the rebuff to kendall every time was so calm and so like well it's not true is it and it's just refreshing to see someone care less tom's journey particularly depicted in the way that Matthew McFadden is doing it, is absolutely stunning. Tom's been one of my favourites pretty much from series one. I don't think that journey is over yet. I honestly do think we're going to have something very dramatic coming up. I'm nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go from our most favourite character at the moment, who is definitely my least favourite character, and that's Logan. I mean, the man is just vile. The way that he treats Shiv. He's flirting with his assistant by humiliating other people. Oh, honestly, it's just when he looks at his assistant with those, I don't want to see Brian Cox's come to bed eyes, but I saw them and I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) You've always loved talent though, Grace. (laughs) That whole get Shiv a medal line. Shiv's putting her political argument and points across, although she then makes the fatal flaw of blowing her own trumpet and Logan knocks her back again. It's similar with the standoff at the end of the episode between Logan and Shiv. Once they've decided that they're backing Minkin, she doesn't want to stand in the photo next to him. She ends up agreeing to be there. Logan makes a mistake, but then Logan gets away with it. It's becoming a familiar trope. It is entertaining watching it in most cases, but I'm really close to getting bored of that because we've seen it so many times now that's a really good point i think i would love to see logan make a mistake or really do something that he can't come back from immediately he seems to be able to just maneuver himself back and i guess it's because he just doesn't care about anyone he doesn't give a shit right he sort of can just bounce back and be like don't care yeah, but therefore you've got an unchangeable character. I mean, if you look at it on a kind of writing level, to an extent, they can be a constant anchor in the middle of lots of changeable, and let's face it, we've got lots of changeable characters around him. But it does take away... Maybe they are very cleverly preparing us for when he genuinely breaks character and is out of control. Because we've seen him after the stroke in early stages 
and he kind of looked a bit vulnerable. We didn't really know him that much too well. And he got back on top very quickly. And then he's had his difficulty with walking recently in this series. We've seen vulnerabilities at times. We've seen the FBI come in and he's immediately said, no, fuck him. And then he said, no, we'll give in. But he's never lost that status, really. Not properly. I don't think we've seen that yet. We were talking last week about the possibility of a character dying this season. Do you think that the death of one of his children would break Logan? Yeah. Which one? Well, <laughs> great question. I think it could. I mean, if it doesn't, he is a real monster, surely. If Connor were to die, what difference will that make to the whole family and to Logan particularly? You would hope he'd be a little bit sad. The whole thing is about him passing it on because he's going to die at some point from the succession from him. And I think that potentially the death of one of the kids, any one of the kids really, would be an opportunity to pivot as a character and to see something new and different. What I find amazing about that question is I really don't know how Logan would respond. Would he even cry? Like you say, Neil, we don't see a huge range of emotion from him. We see monster bulldozer, silent eyebrow raiser. He's very rarely vulnerable. You know, he doesn't care if he makes mistakes. So I just don't know the answer to that. I wonder whether it would only really have an impact on him if it was the one that he had in his head to succeed him in the company. I mean, he's quite prepared to let his son-in-law go to prison for him. The fact that I don't think any of the three of us can identify one of his children that he would genuinely grieve says a hell of a lot. If I had an opportunity to rub a lamp and make a wish, I would ask the writers to let us see a Logan that is emotionally vulnerable enough that he does actually care about that because if he does not care emotionally then actually where is the heart of this series it's his treatment of the others that i feel like gives it its heart of all the main characters which one if they died would actually we give a shit about i mean if cousin greg met an untimely end oh my god i would care about all of them if they died would i care about logan probably not if Kendall dies, there's something about that very slow, slow, slow crumble that will be really painful. Where I thought he was quite good in this episode was the test that he lays out for the potential presidents with a call to Boyer, who is the vice president, asking him to bring him a Coke. And then if he can't bring him a Coke, could he do something else like maybe fire the district attorney general? Who's the, the guy that Roman was flirting over the hand towels with? When he came in with the Coke, we assume that Roman told him, bring my dad a Coke, he's going to like that. I think what's interesting is that the vice president has obviously sat down, had a lengthy conversation about getting control of tech. The other guy comes in, gives him a Coke and he gets the job. Yeah, I was trying to work out how much of a fascist that guy was. I think he's the Trump of the show. Mm -hmm. He's like the stand-in for Trump. Elements of Trump, I think. There was one chap who approached Shiv and was essentially saying, get your dad to make me president. I'll make you CEO by jailing your dad. It was a, an audacious play by that particular guy whose name I have no idea what it was. 
And I loved just the talk about Boyer and it was going to be Boyer and then he, someone points out the lip-licking thing that he does and the, the rumour spreading of the Attorney General having a picture of Logan on their dartboard. There was lots of interesting political plays being made. And I feel like it was a real insight into how the media controls politics in this world that we are in and all the politicians in the feeding frenzy around Logan as he put it and I was reminded of the line from last week which is there's blood in the water the sharks are circling and I just thought it was a really nice link and Logan calling the family into this Roy family powwow of who are we going to pick this is the people in the room who get to decide and that was like oh my god Roman has got huge puppy eyes for Logan. It was really clear in this episode how much he's supported Logan. This relationship with his father, it's been really clear how much he is looking up to and really craving the approval of Logan. I agree, Neil. And I think sometimes Roman is so clearly the youngest in the way that he was the only one who really cared that his mother was getting remarried and he didn't know who the man was. I think sometimes you forget that he is the youngest and in those moments you remember and it's just a really lovely character trait that comes out. Yeah, it did feel like that had an impact on him, finding out that his mum was getting remarried and not having been told that by her. He's obsessively Googling the guy that she's marrying and bringing it up with all of the other siblings makes a point of phoning Kendall to tell Kendall that he's not loved by his mum. Pretty much how Roman is feeling. So I wonder whether that feeds into then him. Well, mum doesn't love me. I'll give a bit more attention to dad then. Bless him. Do we think Connor in Within This World is going to become president? At this stage, he might have to do it without the backing of his father. We all assumed that Logan would throw his weight behind Connor eventually, possibly. But actually what makes slightly more interesting storyline is if Connor has to go it alone. The last thing I wanted to flag was Greg's performance in the Roy family powwow. Hugo said, is Greg necessary? Don't say anything. Yep, minimising the Greg window, which I quite enjoyed. And then Greg asking if he can vote and Roman telling him yes at the election with everyone else. Finally, his exit line. He's asked whether he could see Connor as president and he stumbles through an answer. And then he thinks about it and he says, actually, he doesn't feel like Connor would be a good president. Bless him. Greg being the voice of the American people. Best things ever. But I was trying to work out what exactly had happened in the bar that had made him be risen up in jubilation by all these Republicans. (laughs) Do we know? No, I think that was just a bit of jollity. I don't know what was going on there. (laughs) I was like, oh, Greg's made some friends (laughs) very suddenly. So in terms of our who should be the CEO predictions, so I get another two points for being boring and sticking with Jerry. At this point, I'm willing to gamble all of my points. So I think Jerry will be CEO to the end of the series. Whoa. So when the final episode finishes, Jerry is still CEO. Final episode of this season, yeah. Okay, go for it. I mean, I think it's a silly move. You should never disregard Greg. (laughs) is that who you're going for then grace (laughs) yeah go on no no i'm not going to i'm still backing i think roman's doing very well and logan's liking what he's doing so i'm going to go for roman again okay prediction for ceo i'm gonna predict jerry okay have you got a favorite line of this episode yes 
You've already mentioned it, but I think it was so amazing. It's going to get mentioned from me as well, which is my hunch is you're going to get fucked. And I've not seen Logan get fucked from Tom to Kendall because it's how we've all been feeling the last four episodes. I just thought it was brilliantly delivered. And a little shout out to ATN is a pudding cup at 5pm in the nursing home. So those are my faves. The one that we haven't mentioned so far, but I thought was really nice and is a little bit more subtle is Logan's, I need to keep my spoon in the soup. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a couple of Romans that I can't quite pick between. There's his, the shiv, oh, Miss Libtard, how do you like spelunking in the elephant's asshole? And also when talking about Boyer's lip licking, It's like a cartoon bear and there's always a picnic camper nearby. (laughs) So let's talk about what we've been watching. Grace? I am still watching Made and I'm really enjoying it still. I think I'm almost at the end now and it's really just coming into its own. I'm really enjoying it. And I mean, it's getting quite bleak. You can just feel the frustration that this woman who's trying to get out of this abusive relationship is feeling and the despair that she can't get out. She just keeps being forced back. What I think is particularly good about it is it's a really accessible like study as to why women can't get out of those situations easily and why often either they choose not to or they just can't find a way out. Even when they get out, they're forced back in due to circumstance or other relationships. It's just a really useful look at that whole thing. And I'm just enjoying, I mean, I'm not enjoying that side of it, but I am finding it quite educational as much as it's like a good TV show. I would really recommend it. It's just really kind of growing into itself. And Andy McDowell is just being brilliant. So yeah, really enjoying. It's very topical and timely. The pandemic will have increased that situation for a a lot of women. You were saying last week that you felt like it was building momentum in terms of viewership. It's on my Netflix top 10. And I think Netflix are killing it at the moment because there's there's three shows on there that I'm watching in the top 10 and some really good content, which we'll come on to in a bit. And made is slowly getting closer up my list. I'm really glad because I think people should watch it. Obviously, I've been watching Strictly. Bit of a mediocre week, I'd say. Strictly fans, I don't know how we feel about it. There was a very controversial 40, Adam. But I wasn't thrilled with that. So yeah, a bit of a mare week. But this happens on Strictly. Like They'll have a really great week and then they'll have a difficult week. They just start getting a bit tired, I think. Obviously, still really enjoying it. And I'm really behind on Bake Off. I think it's the final tonight as we're recording. I'm so behind. I've avoided spoilers. So I don't know how you're going to be able to talk about it. I didn't know whether you were watching it this year or not, but the semi-final was incredibly emotional. I did have a little weep. That's okay. Um, That's normal. There was a lot going on in that tent. And, you know, I've I've criticised Matt and Noel before, but I think their comedy has, has definitely improved as the episodes have gone on. Someone who won't be too happy about talking about reality TV, and that's my good friend Damien Cooper who has sent us a little recording. So I'm just going to play this for you. Hello, everyone. Damo here, just checking in with what I've been watching. First of all, just catching up with all the new Succession apps. Really enjoying your work, gang. Although I was slightly upset to hear discussion of reality TV. What has become of this podcast? Anyway, what I have been watching, well... Series two of Tiger King, of course. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 
I don't think I finished episode two. I think that's definitely a case of diminishing returns, but who knows? I may find myself going back to it. I also started watching Wheel of Time on Amazon. I didn't even get halfway through the first episode. Sadly, I don't think it's going to be much of a contender as Amazon's Game of Thrones. And maybe because it's been filmed in New Zealand, it felt a little bit more like the legendary adventures of Hercules or Xena Warrior Princess in tone for those who remember those absolute classics from the late 90s. I also started watching American Crime Story, the latest series which deals with Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton's affair, and I'm assuming his subsequent impeachment. We only got one episode in, and I don't know. My general opinion is that the American Crime Story series isn't that high quality drama series, although I did enjoy the assassination of Gianni Versace which was one of the previous series, I believe, starring the amazing Ricky Martin, who I will watch in anything. I watched a really good Swedish series on Netflix called The Unlikely Murderer, which deals with the assassination of Swedish Prime Minister Olof Palme. And I think it's five episodes of around 50 minutes each. And it's an intriguing unsolved murder. It's a It's a dramatisation, it's not a documentary. It's really good stuff, really fantastic cast. You might recognise a couple of the Swedish faces in it. A high recommend from me. I also found time to start watching the latest series of Narcos Mexico. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if you've watched any of the previous series, definitely get on it as soon as you can. If you haven't, definitely watch it. If not, just to improve your Spanish Well, I say improve your Spanish, learn even more Spanish swear words, but it's still an absolute blast. It's a well-written, massive budget international drama, so I can't recommend it enough. Adam also previously recommended to me Dope Sick on Disney+. Plus. I've watched the first three episodes and absolutely loved it. Fantastic cast. We've got Will Porter, Rosario Dawson, Loads of great actors. It's really well written and once again shows how incredibly terrible the American healthcare system is. I've also managed to reach season three of Succession. I'm two episodes in. I have to say, I found the end of the first series a little bit difficult. I absolutely love the second series. And now I'm trying to get through series three. As you can see, I've had quite a lot to watch because there's so many great things going on. But I am trying my hardest and I hope to catch up and maybe be on an episode very, very soon. At the moment, I have to say I'm Team Shiv, have been since the early doors of season two. But who knows, maybe I could be talked into being Team Ken, although I just think he's a bit of a bellend. So that's it for now. Lovely hearing all your voices. Keep up the good work and see you all soon. Bye. There we go. Great to hear from Damien. Any thoughts on any of the stuff that he mentioned there? I've got loads of thoughts. Firstly, bringing me down for watching reality TV, but tuning into Tiger King Series 2, pop kettle black <laughs> much. So there's that. That's my first thing to Damien there. And the other thing was saying he's doing very well on Succession. That's an intense watch. That's quick. I feel certain things about Shiv that I think she would be the best at the job. I've never said that publicly on the podcast, but now that Damien's opened the door for me, I do think that's fair. I would agree with him. And I do think Kendall's a bell end. 
funnily enough, although I haven't seen Damien for a while, our TV watching has synced up a little bit. In three of those different series that he talked about, I've watched exactly the same number of episodes down to only getting halfway through the first episode of Wheel of Time and have pretty much similar thoughts on each of them. Tiger King, oh, I fell asleep during the first two episodes when they brought the psychic in to try and work out where Carol Baskin's husband was. All got a bit too much for me. Catherine has watched the whole thing, so she found it interesting enough to keep going and watch through. There's only five or six episodes, I think. but It will be interesting to see how well it does this time. Because season one was pandemic, we weren't going anywhere. We were kind of imprisoned to watch it without any choice. Now the world is open. I would be interested to see its viewing figures. I just don't think it's going to be the same. And they're all pretty vile people, really. So it's there's only so much pleasure that you can take in watching them. We only like vile people when they're incredibly rich and have pithy dialogue. <laughs> It's the dialogue that wins it over. Completely agree about Dope Sick. I've watched the third episode of that as well, and it's still, it's going strong, and I think will be, continue to be really gripping and interesting. But Wheel of Time, oh, I mean, so disappointed. They spent 10 million an episode on this show to make it their Game of Thrones. And it was just, I mean, for one, it was just so slow to start. I'm going to contrast that with a couple of other shows I'm going to talk about. I just found it dull. (laughs) None of the characters were really that engaging. It is supposed to get better. I have been told that you really need to give it the first three episodes before you make your mind up. But I'm not going to be in, in too much of a hurry to do that. It's such a shame, really disappointed with Wheel of Time. Something I do want to talk about, though, before I get onto those shows which have explosive beginnings is The Leftovers, which I've been mentioning for a few weeks now. I've finished season two and I'm now about four or five episodes into season three, which is the final season. It's a reminder of the premise is that 2% of the population disappears, just vanishes. And there's all sorts of cults and beliefs and different things that crop up from that. And obviously dealing with loss and dealing with grief for different characters and how that manifests for them. But all the way through, there's been this elements of the supernatural, but also the potential for this logical explanation. And in season two, there's this one episode where it really heavily drills down into there's a logical reason for all of this stuff happening. And then the very next episode, the end of that episode, going into the next episode, it just completely flips and you go into this incredible, incredible, fantastical episode that was just one of my favourite things I've watched in in a long time. And season two just continued from then on to be incredible. I'm enjoying season three. I've just had a really brilliant episode centred on a character played by Scott Glenn, who I think is a fantastic actor. It was a really great use of AHA's take on me in one episode. The music choices in general are really, really very good. Quite often covers of well-known are used uh, to, to really good effect. Thoroughly enjoying The Leftovers, can definitely see why it was number seven on the BBC's culture list. Something I have finished was Foundation. So the 10th episode aired last week. The ending was incredibly satisfying. Lots of plot twists, unexpected things happening. Character development was really strong. The acting in it throughout has been phenomenal. And we've talked about how exquisite the whole thing looks. It won't be for everyone, Foundation, but I found it really, really beautiful. And I'm I just can't wait for for season two to come out, which it will do, I'm sure, at some point next year. 
Let's continue our way down the BBC Culture 100 Greatest Shows of the 21st Century list. Last week we got up to number 40, so this week we're going to cover 41 to 50. There's a few shows on here that I'd never heard of. Here we go. 41, Shit's Creek. 42, Peep Show. 43, Money Heist. 44, Community. 45, The Good Fight. 46, Homeland. 47, Grey's Anatomy. 48, Inside Number 9. 49, The Bureau. And 50, Halt and Catch Fire. Okay. Lots I've never heard of. Halt and Catch Fire. Halt and Catch Fire is an American period drama about the personal computer revolution and the start of the World Wide Web. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's three or four seasons. It's, uh, it was 2014 to 2017. It's one that I'd not heard of. I think sounds quite interesting. That list started off incredibly well for me with Shit's Creek followed by Peep Show. Personally, I would want to see Peep Show a lot higher up the list. It's one of my all-time favourite shows. One of the ones that I will go back to time and time and time again. And I could just quote any time. I mean, Mark and Jez, those characters and their relationship, the perfect duo, I think, on telly. The comedy is just outstanding. Obviously, we know Jesse Armstrong, who then went on to Succession. You can see that is a talent. I've got all the time in the world for Peep Show. Love, love, love. Schitt's Creek, again, big fan. It kept me going through lockdown. Honestly, it felt like they were my family when I couldn't be with my family. That's how much I care about the roses. They mean a lot to me. And uh, again, I go back and like dive in. So a lot of feels about that one. And then Homeland, I loved season one. I thought it was some of the best made telly in so long when it came out. And then it just got a bit, a bit silly. It just felt like it wasn't really believable anymore. How far did you get? I think I watched about a series and a half, maybe two series. Um, I think when Damien Lewis, I know he was still in it, but didn't he become less of a thing, maybe? Well, it very much became Claire Danes' character's story. There definitely were a couple of seasons where it wasn't as strong. I mean, the first season was incredible, really, really great TV. But I think some of the latter seasons were worth watching. I enjoyed Homeland and saw it through to the end. Schitt's Creek, I watched... For the first time last year and yeah really enjoyed it Catherine had been raving about it for a long time and i'd seen a couple of episodes over her shoulder so i sort of knew what i was getting into and she just said you've got to watch the whole thing from the beginning i'll watch it with you and you've got to not judge it on the first few episodes because it takes a little bit of time for you to love these characters but it's so worth it and she's absolutely right it's your tonic show isn't it isn't it what you watch when you're forced to watch something like squid game you're right yeah i did watch an episode of Shit's creek after an episode of squid game in order to try and help me get to sleep <laughs> it's that kind of like warm safe space but you you're not going to afford the same kindness to wheel of time adam <laughs> Yeah, if I didn't have so much other stuff to watch, I may have done. And I will give it more than half an episode. It didn't have, you know, when you've got someone telling you that this is worth persevering with, then I think it's a good testament to it. How about Community? Did you ever watch Community? I think I've seen one episode, but I know that's very loved. And in a similar, it's a comedy about a family. It's kind of a community college 
set up Joel McHale's character, who was a lawyer and for some reason has had to go back to college. So he's kind of like an older student with all of these other younger characters. Some of the mature characters. I mean, he's got Chevy Chase in it. It is a really brilliant cast. You've got people like Yvette Nicole Brown, Ken Yong, Gillian Jacobs is in it. It's a really, really very good cast. I started watching it. I watched, I maybe got sort of six or seven episodes in and then just got taken over by other stuff. But I did find it very funny and very easy to watch. So some of the others I haven't seen. I've never seen any of Money Heist, the Spanish heist crime drama, which is on Netflix. And The Good Fight is an American legal drama. And The Bureau is a French political spy thriller. Inside number nine, Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton as the dark comedy anthology series. Each episode is a different story all around the number nine. And they've had some pretty incredible people in it like they have guest stars each episode but i've never watched a single one and gray's anatomy had 18 seasons i mean that really went on i haven't seen one episode of gray's anatomy and there are 18 seasons and i think it's still going it's not (laughs) it can't be according to the list it says 2005 onwards doesn't have an end date for gray's anatomy so i think it is still going but for me you know the only hospital drama to watch was ER. And actually ER's not on this list, but that's because it started before 2000, right? That's why, okay. For a moment there, I thought we're gonna have to start a petition to get ER at the top 10 of this list, but thankfully it's all okay. No, ER, outstanding. And that theme tune, when it plays now, I can still picture being about sort of nine years old, Friday night, 9 p.m., Channel 4, without a doubt sat with my whole family watching it. Oh my God, so good. So that's that list. I might, well, I don't know, Inside Number Nine is the show, I think, from that, that I would be most likely to watch some of. What do you think about Peep Show? I I don't think I've ever watched all of it. I've certainly seen it in bits and pieces. Is that you seeing it from different characters' perspectives at times? Is that how it works? Yeah, so it's a POV show, essentially, point of view shows. So the actors are, are speaking down the lens as if you're the other character in the room, which I think had very rarely been done or had never really been done in this way before Peep Show came onto the scene. And you can see as you watch it, them really developing that as a storytelling technique. But yeah, I just absolutely adore it. It definitely wasn't one of my favourite shows, but I don't don't think I've ever really given it proper time and consideration. But I, I definitely enjoy it. And I think they are both very, very good and very, very funny. I've got a lot of time for both of them as actors and comedians. I think they're great. There's a few bits and pieces coming up that I wanted to just quickly talk about. So something that is out now on Netflix, I think it's only just been announced today, that it's taken over from Squid Game as the Netflix number one show. It's called Hellbound. The blurb goes, unearthly beings deliver condemnations, sending individuals to hell and giving rise to a religious group founded on the idea of divine justice. So the premise is, these messengers come down and say to individuals, this is when you're going to die. And at that appointed time, these creatures, big hulking monsters come down and savagely kill them. Oh God. (laughs) I watched the first half of the first episode quite late last night and it was mind blowingly good. This is the one of I want to contrast with Wheel of Time for how to start a series off. It was just incredible. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's pretty brutal, but 
I really enjoyed not just the opening sequence, but then where the story was going and that there's this this religious group and the police detective characters who are investigating the group and, and the circumstances around this happening. So that's out now on Netflix. I think it's six episodes. I'm definitely going to be watching more of Hellbound and we'll report back next week on how that season's gone. But don't you think it's quite interesting that the two like most watched things right now are super gruesome and quite brutal after what we've all been through? Do you think there's something in people wanting to kind of, I don't know what that is. Either at the moment I'm drawn to like something like Squid Game or I'm drawn to like crying over like a bake on Bake Off. And those are the two extremes of my TV watching. And I think that says a lot about what we've been through. <laughs> well, the other thing to say about Hellbound is that it's Korean exactly the same as Squid Game. There will inevitably be comparisons with Squid Game, but they are different shows very much. So the other show that I'm stupidly excited about, which premieres tomorrow, is Hawkeye, which is the latest in the Marvel series of TV shows. So Hawkeye, for those who don't know, is an incredibly skilled archer. So you've got all these gods and superhumans, and this is a a human guy who's just very, very talented with a bow and arrow. But Hawkeye is the character who certainly in the comic books is always coming out with wisecracks and snappy one-liners and Jeremy Renner who plays him in all of the Avenger movies does a really brilliant job of bringing that comic book character to life. So the setup for the TV show is that Hawkeye is retired and he's spending time with his family. There's a bit of a send-up of Broadway because they go and see a, a musical inspired by Captain America. This is all stuff that I've drawn from the trailer. And then there was a dark period in his life where he took on an assassin role and costume, and somebody else is now wearing that costume. So he has to go and sort all of that out. The premise is, can he get it all done by Christmas? He's promised his family he's going to be home by Christmas. So it's, it's festive Marvel. One of the lines in the trailer was, come with a bow. Um, <laughs> The other thing to mention is that he adopts protégé, character in the comic books called Kate Bishop, who takes on the mantle of Hawkeye. So she's introduced in this series and it's kind of about their adventures. I think it'll be a lot of fun and potentially quite festive. It's interesting when you were talking about that, you know, I'm not a big Marvel fan. When you said the word Marvel, my eyes just ever so slightly glazed over. But then you said the word festive and I was back in the room. Having not seen any of the full show yet, if you would say to me, what Marvel TV show should I watch? Then I think this probably would be the one that would be most suited to you. Great. Um, Thank you. This is my in. And then the final one that's coming out also tomorrow night is True Story. This is coming out on Netflix. It's a Kevin Hart show. Kevin Hart's uh, stand-up comedian was in the Jumanji films. And he plays a successful stand-up comedian, which may be where the true story element of it comes in. Wesley Snipes plays his older brother, his less successful older brother. The blurb goes, a tour stop becomes a matter of life and death for a famous comic when the fallout from a night with his brother threatens to destroy everything he's built. Really intriguing setup. The news that I've read is that that isn't a true story, although the title of the show is True Story, and there are clearly similarities between Kevin Hart and the character who's called Kid in this. It's a fictional piece. Really curious to see how that all comes out. So if you want to tell us what you've been watching and what you're enjoying and looking forward to, you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at TVDNAPod. You can find us on Facebook, search TV Space DNA, and you can email us 
tvdnapod at gmail.com. And as we said, you know, if you're enjoying hearing us talk about Succession, lots of other great TV, then do tell a friend because that would be lovely for us. Right, I'm off to take a dose of arsenic to build up my tolerance. I'll see you all later. Bye. Where's Dave? Dave's good. We all like Dave. <laughs> I think I stopped. Yeah, I'm not going to say what happens in case anyone reads, uh, listens, reads or listens. I, I I still need to understand your proposal, Adam. At the moment, I'm on six points and you're both on, on two points. Um, I'm sticking with Jerry every week, so I feel like by the end of it, I could be on 12 points potentially. All I'm so saying is I'll, I'll put all of my points up now to say that Jerry will be CEO at the end. And if I'm wrong, obviously I'm on zero points and, and you know, you'll both get a share of my points. Let's do it. It sounds great. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm looking over the small print here. So, <laughs> the, um, what you're saying is that if me and Grace, or Grace and I, um, decide to take you up on this, that you're basically committing to Jerry to be CEO for the rest of the season, and therefore that's not going to change. It'll only be me and Grace that are making predictions each week. You're you're fully going in with a kind of all or nothing suggestion. Yeah, but I'm saying that I'll sacrifice all the points that I've won so far. That's how convinced I am that it's going to the end. Okay, so just to be really clear, you if, if, if me and Grace decide to go along with this, I'm going along with it, mate. I don't care about the small. <laughs> no, I, I, so I, I, I just want to be clear because um, certainly not with 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 Adam at all. But um, you know, the, the, these things, you know, there can be confusions afterwards. So if if you put that down, then you're not going to be making predictions for the next four episodes to the end of the series. And it's literally a all or nothing. If Jerry is winner, you get the points as if you had predicted her for for those. And if she's not, you lose all the points that you've gained so far. Yeah, exactly that. Okay. And you're not allowed to play anymore. <laughs> Well, I'm just predicting Jerry. It's like I'm predicting Jerry every week. So, you know, I'm yeah. just telling you that's what I'm going to do. But I'm, because it's boring, me just predicting Jerry every week, I thought I'd spice it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Neil, who are you uh, predicting? Well, no, before I make my prediction, it, it, that is absolutely understanding. That's what we're going with. So for the next four episodes, it will just be me and Grace making predictions, um, which would then there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, so that's what we're doing. Yeah, but my predictions are just being made in advance. I'm still making a prediction. It's just yeah, that no, it's no, awesome. you are, you are, but you have no, but you have no opportunity to change those predictions based on watching each episode. Cool. When Jerry dies next episode. Adam can't do anything about it. No, no, and 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 
And you can't do that for the remaining three episodes after that when she is dead and absolutely cannot be CEO. You, you, you're signing your soul. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. It's exciting, right? No, it is. It is. It, I'll tell you what, this last seven minutes has been an absolute thrill. <laughs> so, come on now, we need your prediction, then we can do favourite lines. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, so you were asking me, weren't you? Yeah. Um, right, oh, right, oh, team. 